So I was beginning to think about hoping to kind of finish up our vision series, uh, at least in the pulpit this morning, although I'm going to do some more nuts and bolts in the two o'clock afternoon times in subsequent weeks. But this will conclude our, our series through our vision for 2020 for the church. And yet I, I really I began praying about this last message uh, some time ago and struggled with where to go with it and what to do. Sure, I could have pulled out of the reservoir, out of, I don't know, over a thousand sermons to preach a sermon to you this morning, but I never pray for a sermon. I always pray for the message. And um, one particular verse kept coming to mind over and over, and it's that that I would like for us to focus on here today. And it'll be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. But since some of you felt cheated last night in such a short sermon and wanted the other 45 minutes of it, then I'll give you a little bit more today. I'm actually going to start the, the reading of the text back in chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 17. This would not be unlike what would happen in the early church when Paul wrote this epistle and says, when you gather together, cause it to be read to you here. And for the church that I wrote to the Laodiceans, you read it as well. Swap back and forth and read these things when you gather together. So I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 24. Hear the word of God. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving." Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to His cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no man judge you in food or in drink or in regard of a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you have died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, the giver of every good gift, our Lord Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, our great High Priest, and Holy Spirit, the teacher of all truth and comforter, we ask that You would be hallowed and glorified in our presence as Your Word is preached, as we worship You in the hearing and preaching of Your Word. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our eyes that we may see in our hearts that it may understand the Gospel. We ask, Lord, that Your Spirit would fall fresh upon us and bring forth fruit that would please You, working in us and through us of Your good will so that we would please You. Oh God, if there is someone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that You would break through the crusty, hardened, proud, selfish heart, and that You would bring new life and life abundantly to that soul. To those who are in great need of revival, we pray You would revive us to cause us to fall in love deeply with our Lord and Savior once again. We pray for those that are discouraged that they would have the great courage to follow in the calling that You have given. Lord, whatever the need, press upon us the applications of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we conclude our vision of heritage, I want to come back once again to the gospel. That's where we started in January, the gospel. As we journey forward with Christ from here, it is my hope that we can navigate through life and that we can steer clear of the impediments and threats along the way that keeps us from the fullness of Christ. Many Christians define their Christian life in terms of rigid rules and conservative lifestyles that's fueled more by guilt than by faith. They immerse themselves in rules that may be good and proper, but either they have never never been taught or never have personally put forward faith to link to the code of conduct to the very true core of the gospel. There are other professing believers rebelling against the Christian lifestyle because they don't know the why of it or they are burdened by the guilt because their performance of duty does not measure up to some preconceived standard. Legalism and licentiousness. The extremes of obsessive license or oppressive bondage are the results of not living 
by the gospel. Neither of these two will include joy or utilize the power of the gospel. The solution to these problems is right thinking about Christ. Dr. Michael Barrett, my mentor in the gospel, said this, I quote, right thinking about the gospel produces right living in the gospel. It is truth, not activity, which makes Christianity distinct. Right living about the gospel produces right living. Right thinking about the gospel produces right uh, living in the gospel. The Bible sets forth a pattern for us through its different pages of Scripture But it produces, first of all, knowing. And second of all, believing. And then third, doing. We can't get those reversed. We can't get them flipped around. So before us in this passage is a minister's work for the blessedness and the joy of God's people so that they might know Christ, they might believe Christ, And that they might live for Christ. So the focus this morning is to encourage you to know, first of all, that you are complete in Christ. And then for you to believe that you are complete in Christ. And then for you to live completely in Christ. That's where the text is coming from this morning. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, for you are complete in Him. It comes even from the echoing the passages like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And over and over in Scripture, it tells us that we are complete with God if we have God. First of all, let's look at the minister's work which we have at the end of chapter 1, to teach God's people that they are complete in Christ. This is the knowing. The knowing. We find here as Paul begins his discourse in verse 21, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. How many people rejoice in their sufferings? But this was Paul's longing. He, he delighted to know the sufferings of Christ and have fellowship with these sufferings because not that he enjoyed the pain, but because of the fruit that they bore. And the fellowship with the Savior who bore those sufferings upon the cross, he now enjoys a resurrected life with Him. And so he rejoices in his sufferings for you. And he fills up in his own flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. It's a very unusual verse here. As though Christ left some sufferings to be filled up here upon the earth. And Paul and ministers that follow in that train are going to fill up sufferings that still have to be fulfilled for the cause of Christ and His kingdom. So Paul rejoices in this great privilege that he had. Christ brings many sons into glory through His atoning sufferings. 
That's the objective fact. And a faithful minister of Christ will bring many souls to glory through his sufferings as Christ's atonement is applied to his people. That's the subjective reality. And so while a minister's sufferings is not atoning, it is applying that atoning work to the power of the Spirit. A minister will be on the front lines to battle against anything that endangers the sheep. And if he's a true and faithful shepherd, he will go to battle for the sheep. He lives and is called for the the good of the sheep and the joy of the sheep and the blessedness of the sheep and He will go to battle for them. Whether it be the wild beast of Ephesus or the Gnostics with their food heresies or the philosophies of the world that creeps in unawares or the tearing down of the high places of the idols of covetousness. The minister labors and suffers for the good and the blessedness and the joy of God's people. This is not a work that many are cut out to do. And this is not a work that anyone can do in their own strength or flesh. That's why he says, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, the church. The work of the minister is a stewardship that God himself assigns to particular men for the good and the blessing of his people, the church. Make sure, my friends... In the future of heritage, only seek those for the ministry that God has called and gifted for the work. As Spurgeon once said, the desire for the ministry is a good desire, but if you can go do anything else, go do it. Go do it. If you've truly been called, you won't be able to resist it and you won't be able to get away from it. God has set you apart from birth and you will not go into the ministry kicking and screaming against the sufferings that you're going to endure. You will go willingly and joyfully and voluntarily willing to serve Christ, to die for Him, and to live your life for Him. And you can't avoid it. So there's nothing to worry about. No man will stop you from that. But if you can go do anything else, go do that. It's through the sufferings of Christ and the laborer of the minister that God is making known the riches of His glory. We see the minister's duty and how he carries this out in verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. Is the minister's greatest desire and what he labors for, perhaps even wrapped up in the crown of glory that is to be given him upon his final days and the days of judgment, 
that he sees those that he has warned and taught and have ushered into the the kingdom along with him because of his labors and faithful ministry to them with the gospel, with Christ. It will not be his glory, it will be for the glory of Christ, but it will be his reward to see the souls for whom he gives account there along with them and not lost. How do we do that? Not in our strength, but with the gospel. Being faithful to preach Christ. Being faithful to warn men and women and boys and teach them of Christ. To admonish them, to correct them, to rebuke them, and to train them up in righteousness that the man of God with the Word might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's our confidence as a minister. As Paul tells young Timothy, who was left at Ephesus. Oh, a difficult place was Ephesus. The place where Paul went through some of the darkest times of his ministry. The place where there was great revival to the extent that the magicians were going and burning their books and coming to Christ. But where you stir up the hornet's nest, you better be ready and prepared for the dark forces to be unleashed against your soul. And that they did. On his trip down to Jerusalem, when he calls those elders to him, exhorting those elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God. Overseeing their souls. And be faithful with Christ. But I perceive that there are wolves even among you. Ephesus was a difficult place to minister. He leaves young Timothy there to to minister and to shepherd. And you can see in the way that Paul is coaching this young man in the ministry perhaps a bit timid. Stir up the gift, Timothy, that God has given you on the laying of the hands of the presbytery. Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It is for the sake of the Gospel and these lives of these people that you must stay true to the Gospel You must continue to endure and read the Scriptures and stay true to the doctrines whereby you will save yourself and those to whom you minister. It is to this young pastor that he says in his second epistle, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all and able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they have come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, he's speaking about professing Christians in the church 
that Timothy is being exhorted. There's some people in the church that succumb to the snare of the devil and are taken captive by him to do his will. And how is Timothy to overcome some of the greatest opposition and barriers from within the body of Christ with the gospel? With the truth? How is Satan going to take someone captive with deception? As the passage implies, they're going to be argumentative in opposition. The ministers to warn and teach so that they do not go to their eternal damnation while falsely believing that their soul is safe. Where is this power of the minister going to come from? Verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. It wasn't Paul's ability, it was the power of God working in him that he just gave himself to be the channel of the Spirit of God by the truth of God and being faithful with the Gospel. It's the power of the Gospel, not the power of the minister. So we have the, the minister's desire for his people, see. It's for them to know that they are complete in Christ. But he wants them also, secondly, to, to, to know that they can believe that they are complete in Christ. Not only to know it in their minds, but to give themselves to this life. All of their trust and all of their fidelity and all of their loyalties given to Christ. To know that they are complete in Him and to believe that they are complete in Him. He wants them to be encouraged and knit together in love. So he begins in chapter 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love attaining unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding. This is the theme throughout Paul's ministerial desires for his people, that they come into the unity of the faith, that they be of one mind and one spirit, that their love may abound more and more in Christ toward one another. He wants them to know Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants them to know. This is beyond the head knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge that can only come by faith. Christ is the storehouse of wisdom and knowledge, of all of it. Proverbs 4 tells us, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. With all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs 2, for the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. There's one place to find wisdom. There's one place to find the truth. That's Christ. 
This is a knowledge that will only come through faith. Verse 9, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. You're complete. You're perfected. You're, you're, you're completely mature in Christ. In fact, the way God speaks about it in Romans 8, you're already glorified. You're in the resurrected Christ. It is not you who lives, but Christ who lives within you and through you. This is a truth that must be received by faith. You've got to believe that you are complete in Christ. Because there are so many competing interests externally for that knowledge of Christ in your soul. That's why Paul teaches them and he warns them. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, Beware! Verse 16, Let no man judge you in food or drink. Verse 18, let no man cheat you of your reward. In verse 23, these things might have an appearance of wisdom, but they have no value. So we have the minister's desires for his people. is not only to know that they are complete in him, but to believe it and give themselves to it. So there's the knowing, there's the believing. And then there's the doing, the life. So the minister exhortations then to God's people is to live in the completeness of Christ. And so he begins in chapter 3. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you have died. Let's let that sink in. You have died. Past tense, done, over, you're dead. And your life now is hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Say that with me if you would. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So many Christians have controlling fears. Fears that control their behavior. And the reason for this is that their roots are shallow in Christ. That's why in chapter 2 he says, As you have therefore received Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in your faith, as you have been taught, abounding with it in thanksgiving. In the world of wine, we would consider an old world wine grown over in the Europe soils of either France or Spain or Italy perhaps. What is notable about those wines and many of those old 
vine wines is that they grow on very inferior soil, which is rocky, and they do not irrigate their vineyards. They rely on God to send the rains. During times of drought or dry season, the the vines struggle. And so they have to go deeper into the soil. And they have to reach for the life of the water. And they have to be deeply rooted in the soil so they can absorb the nutrients. But because they are so deeply rooted, they then absorb up the mineralities of the soil into the fruit to the extent that you can taste the mineralities in the wine itself. Unlike many of the New World wines that are irrigated and they don't have to stretch and wrestle and struggle so much for the water because it's controlled. And while you might get a very juicy fruit-forward wine, you get very little of the terroir that is indicative of its place. And Paul is saying you need to be deeply rooted in Christ to bring up all of that nutrients and be identified with the terroir of Christ. To have your identity in Christ. When you let other things control you and your fears and your doubts, it's because you have shallow roots. Think about it. If you are in Christ and your old life has died and you're now hidden with Christ in God, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up as a strong and healthy vine. You are complete in Him, so live like it. The way to combat the external enemies is to strengthen the inner man. The way you think about the gospel is the way you're going to live the gospel. Because there's going to be all sorts of external competing interests for the knowledge of Christ. There always has been and there always will be. Competing knowledge will emerge from the world's culture. It's going to come in from out there. It'll be sown right in here. And God's people and God's preachers will bring the ways of the world and the philosophies into the church. And it's in the hearts of God's people that oftentimes these competing knowledge for Christ comes. And yet this worldly knowledge comes in many forms and packages, but they are always battling for the knowledge of Christ. There's always been danger in the garden, and it's been man's responsibility to preach God in Christ. The tree of life needs to be protected. In every church, in every generation, there are external competing philosophies and teachings of men that keep people from knowing and enjoying the fullness of Christ and to live in the knowledge that they are complete in Him and to live in the completeness of Christ. 
There are medical and health philosophies in the church that Christians get fixated on and are being led away captive by the enemy to do His will. There are food philosophies. There always has been. There was in Paul's day. There is today. There will be tomorrow. There will be in the future generations of heritage. Food philosophies that will rob you from your completeness in Christ. There will be remedies that are trying to address that only the Gospel can address and they are going to compete for the knowledge of Christ. Oh, they will dress themselves up in religious and spiritual ways and they will have a cloak about them, a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. They will always be learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. There will be psychological philosophies, and as the study of man and science continues to progress, we'll bring those things right into the church. We'll promote those as our counselors while it's founded on the entire wrong foundation of the heart of man. But if we start off with a total depravity, and then we lead them to Christ, they can embrace the cross of Christ, and they can experience the joy of Christ. There are worldly philosophies within the church. Don't think that Marxism started out there. Marxism was promoted in here. And there's the social gospel. And there's the prosperity gospel. And there's the humanistic gospel. And there's the rational gospel. Materialistic gospel. The Gnostic gospel. And a minister must teach and warn against every competing interest that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. For in Him is the storehouse of all wisdom and knowledge. And if you come to the storehouse, you will know that you are complete in Him. Why are we so dissatisfied with the gospel? Why do we feel like the gospel is not good enough for our problems? Why is it we do not think and believe that it can fix us where we are? Folks, I can't fix you. The world can't fix you. Only Christ can fix you. And you better give yourself to Him and lay your life completely bare upon the gospel. It is your only hope. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Let's not bring it into the church. For I desire for you to know the wisdom of God and the power of God through Christ and Him crucified. You are complete in Him. Live in this completeness of Christ in the relationships you have in His church. And that's why he goes on in verse 4 of chapter 3, when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth. You were dead. 
Reckon yourself dead in Christ and alive in Christ. You have died with Him and you have been raised together with Him. Your old man is dead. So put to death those members that are still here upon the earth. It's the internal man that needs to be put off. This internal old residue still clinging to this flesh. This is the impediment that keeps us from going into the storehouse of God, Christ, and receiving all of the wisdom and the knowledge and so live in a complete life which is characterized by fullness of joy. This past Friday evening, We came and we heard wonderful singing. We went home. Y'all went home. My wife comes back. She has to get something from inside the barn. She can't get in the barn. There's an impediment in the way. Right in front of the door was this little black creature with a white stripe down his back. She sends me a picture. I said, don't go near it. All I could think of is what was going to be like this morning if she stirred him up. You know, the old man is that stinking impediment that's got to be dealt with, and it keeps us from coming into the great storehouse to enjoy our completeness in Christ. The new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ, it's available for us. But the impediment in our life continues to spring from this old heart, this old proud heart. We are self-seeking and self-focused and self-defending and self-protecting and self-promoting. And the one thing that salvation does is it changes our bent from self to Christ. But the thing that we have to continue to battle is the old flesh with the Spirit. Everything about this old sinful self will work to destroy your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. Paul is praying for their love to abound. That's why he says, put off, verse 8, anger, bitterness, and wrath. Put it off! Put off the hatreds and the malice. Put off the harboring of wrongdoings that others have done against you. Put off the hard feelings that keeps you at a distance from God's people. Put off the gossip and the pride. Put off the self-righteousness and self-promotion. Put off your critical and judgmental spirit. Put off the sense of your superiority over your peers. Put off the weakness of your inferiority complexes and your emotional frailty. Put it off. Put off the spirit of discontentedness. Put off the attitude of entitlement and presumption. Put off the unrighteous deeds of the flesh. Put off the demanding of others to fulfill your personal desires. Put it off. Put off your laziness and your sloth and spiritual godliness and the disciplines of godliness. Put off the ill feelings you have against your elders because they tell you something contrary to what you want to hear when they are warning you for your eternal safety. 
Put off the disrespect for your parents. Put off the disrespect for your husbands. Put off the unloving attitude you have toward your wives. Put off your angry spirit. Put off the harshness in your spirit against your neighbor. Put off the ungodly manipulation so that you can get your way. Put off the controlling fears that hinder your relationship with others and to keep you from fulfilling your calling in Christ. Put off your social distancing of your heart toward one another. Put off your ungrateful and complaining spirit. Put off your discontented spirit that postures itself in unthankful ways that thinks that God owes you something better. Put off your cantankerous spirit that stirs up strife. Put off your childish tendencies of always needing to be served by others. Put off your demands for God's grace. Put it off. Put it off. Put it off. And put on Christ. Because you don't need any of that. You've been saved out of that. You think you need completeness in these things. You think you need somebody else coddling you. You need Christ. Because then he goes on in verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. One body in the bond of love with grateful hearts. That's what we're about. When the world sees that, they're going to know that you're Christ's disciples. We're going to be fulfilling our mission. We will be the light set up on a hill that people will just flock to that. The sources of the turmoil in your spirit really are the, the unloving and unthankful ways of that old man that must be put to death. Whatever your problems are or ever will be, the answer is always the same. It is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. To understand the connection between your problems and Christ. And to understand the solution. Well, I've got these problems. How does the gospel fit? Go to Christ. He is the storehouse of the wisdom and the knowledge that you need. He is the answer for even the questions that you do not yet know how to ask. And He is the answer to those questions when you learn to ask them. And what you need is to walk in Christ, rooted deeply so that you can be built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it all with thanksgiving, because you are complete in Him. you got to know it. you got to believe it. And when you believe it, you will live it. Right thinking about the gospel will produce the right living in the gospel. May God help us. Our gracious Father, the power of the gospel, how thankful we are for it. We are not strong in ourselves to even begin to help. 
We lay ourselves bare and we confess that we are guilty of every one of these things that I have ticked off that we need to put off. There's not a single person here that's accepted from any of them. And we pray that You would deeply root us in Christ, that we might feast upon His goodness, taste and see He is good, look at the beauty of His holiness as He beautifies us His people in salvation. We are complete in You, our Lord. And yet we deny so much what we confess with our mouths in the way that we live. Lord, if there is anything in our life that is keeping us any stinking hindrance that keeps us from the storehouse, Lord, put Your finger on it that we might confess that sin and that we would put it away and repent of it and turn away from it. Lord, if we already know what that is, give us the power to, to repent. Lord, sometimes our hand clutches so tightly to the things we know that we need to give up, and we need You to come and just loosen our fingers from the grip. We find our inability, even in our lack of desire or our fear, to give it all up to You. Why are we so afraid? What are we fearing? Lord, give us the strength by the Spirit to let it all go. To put it all out there. And to give ourselves completely into the good hands of our Lord Jesus Christ and entrust our lives completely to His care. Lord, You know with Your infinite wisdom what is better for our lives than we do. What will make us happier than what we think will make us happy. Lord, we need to trust You so that we will know that we are complete in Christ. So Spirit, we pray that You would continue to convict our lives and our hearts and yet bring the encouragement and the hope and the comfort as we turn our lives to embrace our Lord who loves us with an everlasting love, who has promised us no good thing will He withhold from us, and the likes of the goodness that our minds can never even imagine or think. Why would we hold on to something so tightly thinking that we can do better? Oh God, save us from ourselves and put to death this old man, and renew us today in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.